1: everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, October 16th. That means it's time for episode 320 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at CLNSmedia.com and follow us as you always do on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. This week I welcome back Evan Lazar, our terrific, outstanding what other adjective can I use to describe uh, you, Evan? Our beat Patriots beat writer and columnist. Find his great work at com and on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Too bad we don't have too much to talk about
0: today, huh? What a busy day. I mean, I was not expecting this to be that, this busy of a day when we got down there today and then all of a sudden million things happen.
1: Okay, we got to start with Michael Bennett, okay? And neither yeah. one of us are – shocked at this right given a number of circumstances first of all that it's Michael Bennett and he's outspoken and he has always been somebody who has been very vocal no matter where he's been uh about wanting to play a particular role in the defense he's in combine that with the fact that Brett Bielma is his defensive line coach and as I tweeted out earlier on Tuesday um he is somebody who always lets everybody know where they stand. When you put those two types of personalities together, it's no surprise that by Michael Bennett's own admission uh, to a number of different outlets on Tuesday, uh they had a uh, – a, uh, certainly, a point of disagreement on Friday, and uh, I'm sure it became heated to a degree. And the Patriots, uh, because of insubordination, decided to suspend him for one week. What's your take on all of this?
0: Well, my take on what happened in the altercation is, I, like you just said, we're not surprised, right? And I think that there, this was bubbling over. And you could kind of tell we, we all try to kind of like poke around Michael Bennett over the last week or two since his snap count has really diminished to almost nothing this past week. He really only got into that game against the Giants in garbage time. I think eight of his eleven snaps were late in the fourth quarter when the game was already out of hand. So we all kinda of poked around and tried to get him to talk and you could tell that he was just biting his tongue. And he let some things leak, you know, the the no uh the zero role thing that Henry McKenna had and some other stuff from Ben Volan, where he voiced his displeasure for his role, but it wasn't anything, you know, obtuse or anything obnoxious or uh overstepping any of his bounds. I think that we kind of realized that this was coming. And if you're a player like Michael Bennett, and we can get into why he's not playing in a second, but if you're a player like Michael Bennett that is a Pro Bowl or former Pro Bowl or former Super Bowl champion, one of the best players on one of the best defenses of the decade, you're expecting to play. You're not expecting to come in here and play 11 snaps on Thursday night football. So we can all sit here and say that team first, where's his kind of team first mentality? Where's his, him buying into the Patriot way? Yada, yada, yada. But if you're a player like Michael Bennett, I, I just, I understand where his, where his coming Absolutely. from. Absolutely.
1: And here's my, my take on this. It's one thing if you're Michael Bennett and going from, let's say, pick a number. I, and I, cause I don't have the number of snaps he was playing in his prime. For the Seahawks and the Legion and Boom and all of that in that defense, but let's say you went from sixty-five to seventy percent of the defensive snaps uh, at the peak of your career down to fifty or even yeah. forty-five. I don't think you have as big a problem with it. When you go down to whatever it was, eight percent of the defensive snaps or ten percent of the defensive snaps, um, that's more than just. Um, fitting into the defensive scheme that to me signals that something is seriously wrong there is a serious disconnect uh likely I will say this likely in practice though it could be the meeting rooms plus practice uh where Michael Bennett uh is not seeing things the same way that the coaching staff is seeing them
0: yeah and you know just I just pulled up the numbers for you so he's played 36% 36% of the snaps right now for the Patriots. Last year in Philadelphia, he played 69%. So he's getting cut in half, right? And that and this, these are kind of post-prime snaps. If you go back to like 2014, when the Patriots and the Seahawks played in the Super Bowl, he played on 85% of Seattle snaps. Again,
1: I will get, I will give you the argument that what the Patriots ideally would like to do is save him till the snaps that they think are really going to matter later in the season. Late November into December into January, the playoffs and whatnot, and deep into the playoffs, I get all of that, but if you're Michael Bennett, you don't want to just be sitting around idly by getting bored, watching the rest of the team play and get into a rhythm and whatnot. You do want to make some type of contribution just simple simply out of professional pride
0: right, absolutely, and I think the biggest issue for Bennett in terms of it is a scheme fit issue at the at the root of it, I think. And it's not his fault, actually. It's just kind of how the scheme has transitioned with other players that maybe they weren't expecting to play such major roles kind of coming to light, like Jamie Collins, for instance. Before, they, when they made the trade for Michael Bennett, Jamie Collins wasn't even on the team yet. They hadn't even re-signed Jamie Collins or signed him as a free agent and brought him back yet. So they weren't even thinking about that in that respect. So what they've done basically now is they've gone to two different kind of base fronts, what they're playing on first and second down. They've gone to a 3-4 base, which is just their traditional 3-4. Sometimes one of the defensive ends is actually Chase Winovich as like a stand-up defensive end in kind of a new hybrid role. But for the most part, it's three down linemen. And Michael Bennett, he's a great player, and he's been a great player, but he is not a two-gapper. He is a penetrator. He's a guy that wants to get up the field, shoot gaps, get into the backfield, be disruptive, make plays behind the line of scrimmage. If you're playing in a 3-4 as a down lineman, you gotta be able to 2-gap. You gotta be able to po- hold at the point of attack. You gotta be able to make those types of plays. So, he's not that kind of guy, and he doesn't have the weight or the length to be that kind of guy either. I mean, he's only 275. He's not, he's not a 310 pound defensive lineman. The other issue is, is that in Seattle, he was a 4-3 end. That was his role. The Patriots now are running a four-man down a four man front that is what's called an X front. So they actually have two defensive tackles on the field, and they have two stand-up edge rushers. And that's a big part of what's going on with Bennett, too, is that these linebackers are just playing so well. Collins, Kyle Van Noy, those guys are playing so well as pass rushers that in that X front, instead of having a traditional four three, they're going to more stand up edge rushers on the edge instead of those defensive ends. So that there's no spot for Bennett. There really isn't he doesn't fit into what they're doing now. And that Trey Flowers role that they kinda had in mind for him almost doesn't exist anymore. So so that's really where what you're seeing in terms of just the usage and the scheme fit and all those kinds of things. It, it does smell to me like a trade might be coming here. just took the words right out of my it, mouth. He just doesn't fit what they're doing anymore. And he's still a valuable player to somebody out there. I would think so. And certainly um,
1: let, let's break down his contract and, and you pipe in, if you want to clarify any of this, but yep. he signed a two year, $16.75 million contract with the Patriots uh, in the off season. And uh, he has a cap hit of $6.5 million this year and ten point two five next year. Of course, I won't get there. I mean, obviously, right. the Patriots will buy that out and whatnot. Um, and I'm no Miguel Benzon. I'm not Pat Pat's cap. But um, what are the implications if the Patriots wanted to deal him, and what kind of space would that open?
0: So it would – Basically, when you trade a player mid-season like this, you're trading his base salary. So the signing bonuses, the roster bonuses, all that kind of stuff, the original team is going to end up paying the signing bonus, right? So that comes off the books because he's already been paid that $2 million signing bonus. So it's that $3 million base salary, and that base salary gets prorated, right? Because you're not getting him for all 16 games. Correct. So you're only going to get him for, you know, Whatever it is, nine games, eight games, ten games, whatever it ends up being. So the Patriots, every week that they hold Michael Bennett on their roster, he gets less and less. Uh, he gets cheaper for a team to trade for him. And in reverse, he also there's also less of a cap relief if they do trade him. So right now, the Patriots would get about 2.6, 2.7 million dollars in cap space if they were to trade Michael Bennett. If they wait till like the trade deadline at the end of the month, that number probably goes somewhere below 2.5 million. So they lose money if they, the longer that he, you know, is on the roster, but the team that acquires him is going to make it more affordable if they wait it out and see if the Patriots will take it to the deadline with him. But they do have the ability to free up about two and a half million dollars worth of cap space, which obviously won't be enough for them to go get a Keenan Allen or a Stefan Diggs or something like that. But it might be enough for them to go out and trade for a Mohammed Sanu. Or maybe they can make it work with one of those other bigger names like a Manny Sanders uh, who hasn't quite as much money as Diggs. You know, it just frees them up a little bit to go and make a move.
1: The football season is in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners at betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser. Straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season. You can even bet on wild proposition bets like after Jay Gruden was fired by Washington last week, who will be the next Head coach to get canned. And will the 0-5 Dolphins eventually win a game? Get to the fastest two market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, BetOnline.ag. Head on over to the website today, or you can always use your mobile device and join and use that promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Back with... CLNS media colleague Evan Lazar all right uh, we've talked about Michael Bennett I think you did a, a tremendous job as you always do of uh, kind of hey. not only explaining um, the behind the scenes uh, situation with Michael Bennett and why the coaching staff and the and the player may not be getting along but the X's and Os which to the Patriots perspective is really why if he's not a fit he's a ideal trade candidate do they go out and get a wide receiver
0: well I think that's a big question and I think a lot of it depends on what they see in the next couple of weeks out of Nikhil Harry if Nikhil Harry looks like the first round pick that they want him to look like in the next couple of weeks of practice he can return in week nine I could see them staying pat at wide receiver in, in just in terms of not adding a guy that's gonna be a huge difference maker because maybe they think that it's going to be Harry. Instead, they could still go out and add somebody that's, you know, a third or a three or a four. I'm just talking about going out there and adding some of the big names that have been floating around. I, I really think that the one name that I pretty much crossed off my list is Stephon Diggs. I just don't see how it happens. I don't see why Minnesota trades him unless he asks for a trade like Jalen Ramsey did. I don't see how they make it work with the cap. I just I don't see it. It just doesn't seem feasible. The only way that they could potentially make it work with the cap is if they dump salary by trading a couple of veteran players like a Michael Bennett and then maybe another guy that has a, a number that's too high to them. But it, it would just take a lot of cap gymnastics to make that one happen. So I've pretty much crossed digs off. I think Manny Sanders is a possibility. I, I don't know which direction Denver really wants to be going in right now. That's a big kind of, you know, horseshoe in this whole thing. But in order they can afford him if they can find a trade partner for Bennett. And they could probably make it work with Manny Sanders' contract, especially if they acquire him and then convert some salary after the fact. So I think that there's a way to get Manny Sanders on this team, so that would be probably the one along with most you that I would look for.
1: All right, before we get to the incredibly uh, busy day that the Patriots had in terms of transactions, the big news, as you mentioned, on Tuesday out at uh, practice uh, down at Gillette Stadium Nikhil Harry and Ben Watson were both back on the field. Harry is eligible to play in week nine, uh, Sunday night in Baltimore. What are your expectations, Evan, for each player?
0: I'm really kind of surprised at the lack of excitement for Nikhil Harry, to be honest. And I think that it it comes from a couple of different places.
1: Well, he's an unknown for one, I think.
0: He's he's a true unknown, obviously. Right. He's a draft pick. He's a rookie. A first round pick or not, we haven't seen him do it in an NFL field other than two catches in the first preseason game against Detroit's backups. So I get it. I get that we haven't seen him do it on this level yet, but and I also understand the angle of all of us Patriots fans have gone through Aaron Dobson and Chad Jackson and Taylor Price and Josh Boyce, and just the list goes on and on of high you know higher draft picks at that position that have busted. Right, They just haven't panned out. So until the Patriots prove to us that they can actually draft and develop a wide receiver with a high pick, I understand why people have a little bit of hesitation. With that said, I really think that everybody's clamoring and crying for weapons. Patriots need more weapons. Well, here's a darn good prospect and a darn good weapon, potentially, for the Patriots. And all they need to do is... You know, Harry needs to put in the work, obviously, and the coaching staff and Brady need to put in the work with him to get him up to speed. But in terms of size and speed and ability to create after the after the catch, uh, ability to high point balls and win balls down the field, he's got it all. He's got a great skill set for this offense. He's got a great skill set for the NFL. He's a NFL ready body. I mean, you look at this guy and he's just he's he's like a Greek god. You know, and, uh, he, he looks a lot in size and stature. He's about the same size as Josh Gordon, who's a very big guy also. So he's got that all going for him. The route work, the route running needs work. You know, he needs to work on the details. Josh McDaniels talked about that on the conference calls. Uh, the releases, the, uh, breaks at the top of the routes, they're not what you want. He, his footwork is not great. But in terms of just raw ability and just get the guy into strong faith, hands, great hands. Just get the ball in his hands into space and let him create with it like he did at Arizona State. And just that element of it, I think is going to really bring a little bit of a jolt to this offense. I think people should, should manage expectations in terms of statistical production, but I, I really think that people are actually almost, you know, not being excited enough or are, are kind of down on this a little bit too much. If you ask me, I think this is a really good thing for the Patriots. Okay,
1: explain to me why Bill Belichick couldn't find space for Ben Watson a week ago and now he can.
0: Well, Jakob Johnson goes on IR and, you know, Belichick was kind of telling the truth, I suppose. You know, they didn't have I a mean, right. I guess, and,
1: and, right, and I'm not suggesting that he was misleading anybody, but right. it just seems like that phrase that he uttered to describe the situation with Ben Watson. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe we're reading too much into it. It yeah. just seems like it's odd for a, for a team that is in desperate need of depth at the wide uh, at the tight end position, you would want a Ben Watson. You'd find a way to, you know, release Cody Kessler, uh, which is what they did on Tuesday and yeah. make room for a guy like Ben Watson. I just I found it a little bit perplexing.
0: It was perplexing. It was a, it was an odd strategy, especially because if you remember the first drive of that Giants game, they put two tight ends on the field for almost every single play. Yep. And the two tight ends were Izzo and Lacoste, of course. Those two tight they knew that going into that game that they would potentially want to run a lot of two tight end sets, just like they did in Washington. And I think that they saw in Washington that those two guys, Izzo and Lacoste, could survive and make some plays for them. And they were intrigued by what they saw and they I think they wanted to continue to work with those guys and continue to see what they could get out of them. I think that what we learned have learned throughout this first 6 games of the season is that those guys are just put it nicely replacement level players. You know, those are guys that you can find at that position at any position and go out there and pluck any of those guys off the street at a off free agency, off the waiver wire, off somebody else's practice squad, whatever the case may be, those guys are all around the league. And Ben Watson might be a guy that can be a little bit above that, maybe even more. And and be just—I I really think the biggest th- thing that he needs to be is serviceable in the in the running game. Just hold your block. Just stay. You don't need to move a guy. You don't need to be Rob Gronkowski. You don't need to be a sixth tackle. But just mirror your guy and and hold him off. And that's something that Izzo especially just hasn't been able to do and they just run it towards Izzo a lot and he just gets blown off the ball and he gets pushed backwards or he's not able to sustain the block and his run blocking has really been a big issue for them along with some other things on the on the ground and I just if Ben Watson can be a professional and just hold his end of the bargain in the running game I think it's going to be make a huge difference for the Patriots.
1: So what's interesting about that is, and maybe my memory of this is off, I remember Ben Watson being more of a a target in the Patriots' short passing game and in the red zone when he was here the first time around than I do remember him as being a blocking tight end. But again, I could be off on that.
0: No, no, you're certainly right. I think that when they signed Ben Watson – originally and they brought him out of retirement the thought was to play him like in third down and red zone situations as a pass catching tight end right but i they have just gotten so little out of izzo in terms of production in the running game i think that they really were hoping that izzo was going to be like a dwayne allen for them and just be and be a, a really good blocker in the running game and if they got anything from him in the passing game it would be a bonus and right now he's just really he's failing he's trying to just tread water out there and it's it hasn't looked pretty, and he's really a guy that and you start to kind of look down the checklist of reasons why this running game isn't as sharp as it was last year. He's got to be at the top of the list, along with some of the other new faces on the offensive line, of course, and maybe a little bit of downplay from Mason and and Tooney and Cannon, but overall, I think that Izzo has really hurt them a lot in the running game, and even though that's not necessarily Watson's kind of forte or his reputation i just think that having a guy that has some nfl experience that knows what he's doing at that spot even could help him out a lot even if it's just i don't think that ben watson's going to play 100 percent of the snaps at his age so it's going to have to be kind of a managed workload but even if he gives them a little bit more than is giving them in the running game i think it's going to pay huge dividends for him
1: yeah watson's 38 years of age he's Played in 195 regular season games, 135 starts, 530 catches for over 5,800 yards, 44 touchdowns. And he also, just as important, I think, if you're the Patriots, he's played in 12 postseason games uh, with nine starts, totaling 22 receptions uh, for 234 yards. And, of course, his most epic play ever is chasing, chasing down. down. Yep. Champ
0: Bailey, that, that's a touchback every day of the week. I I will go to the grave with saying that one's a touchback. He fumbled that one out of the back yes, of the end zone. Yes, he did. And I, I, I don't even know how you rule it differently, honestly. I've watched it ten times, and every single time it's a touchback.
1: Okay, and uh, let's get some other business out of the way. Uh, so on Tuesday, Patriots re-sign Ben Watson officially. They sign tight end Eric Tomlinson. They release uh, Cody Kessler, the third-string quarterback, They sign offensive lineman Tyler Gauthier and wide receiver Devin Ross to the practice squad. They release kicker Young-Ho Ku and tight end Jason Vanderlaan from the practice squad. Any of these other moves stick out to you?
0: Well, I think Tomlinson's an interesting one because he does have some history at fullback. He's played about 75 career snaps, I think it is, in the backfield. And the M.O. on him or the book on him is that he is a decent blocker. We'll see what happens when he gets here and how good of a blocker he can be. But he's certainly not known for pass catching. His career numbers, and he's been in the league for a little while, catching the ball are non-existent he's really been a run blocking guy so maybe they think that he can be more of that run blocking threat of like a Dwayne Allen or something like that and maybe they he can also give them a little bit of an option at fullback as well if they want to go that route now that they don't have an actual fullback on the roster that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to monitor going forward because schematically the team likes to really have a fullback it it adds a lot to their offense and that eye formation is a big part of what they like to do so I I have find it hard to believe that they're going to just completely abandon it because they don't have Johnson and they don't have Devlin so maybe a guy like Tomlinson maybe Izzo finds himself in that role I, I threw that out there on Twitter that he could potentially do that he did it a few times in the game on Thursday night so maybe that's the route that they go, but I find it really hard to believe that they are just going to go with no fullback and no two back sets because that's just been such a big part of their offense really for 20 years, I would say.
1: Yeah. I don't, th- I agree with you. They're not going to do that. Um, all right. We're going to finish up here uh, with uh, an easy target. That would be the national football league, specifically okay. the officiating. Did you watch the game Monday night?
0: I did. And poor Trey Flowers who is oh. a great
1: guy and I really like him as a player. Well, okay, he got called, for anybody who didn't see it, he got called not once, but twice, for incredibly questionable um, hands to the face. The first time, it led to a Green Bay touchdown, a tremendous pass from Aaron Rodgers uh, that made it a one-score game, and that was on third down, then it happened in the final two minutes as the Packers were driving. Again, it looked like uh, the Packers had them – I'm sorry, the Lions had them stopped. And Trey Flowers again gets called for a, a horrible, horrible um, hands-to-the-face call. And upon replay, uh, it finally took Troy Vincent of the NFL uh, – operations uh, officer with the uh, National Football League, former player, of course, to acknowledge, yeah, they missed that one. I thought, um, Evan, that they missed both of them. I thought both were really bad calls, but the second one was completely egregious. And what was interesting to me, John Perry, I believe it was, working the game on ESPN, a former official, said, yeah, that's that's that one we missed, live action. And... You know, the NFL comes out. They apologize. Well, they don't apologize. They acknowledged that the second call uh, was missed, and that was Troy Vincent making the acknowledgement. But to me, I want to know why a call like that is not reviewable.
0: I think that's the biggest thing. If you and I can sit on our couch at home and say that's not a penalty after watching it on replay five or six times, but the game goes on like it is a penalty, like why – Why aren't we overruling the refs with some sort of like, you know, eye of God official? Right. And I, and I, and I'll, I'll pipe in here, Evan, not to cut you off, but let me tell, let me tell
1: you what the National Football League would tell you. National Football Leagues could, would say, we could start doing that, but you know what will come up. You'll start getting these random buzz ins from the National Football League, and then people will say, oh, the fix is in from New York, and, and they're, uh, Calling down to the officials on the field and they're, uh, making, you know, discretionary calls on calls that shouldn't be, uh, overturned and, and whatnot and that the NFL is getting involved. Frankly, I would have no problem with that because to me, that's like having quality control in a factory. If you're going right. to put out this product for people to consume, then there should be some type of quality control. And last night was just, you know, it was obvious to everybody. They blew the call and the call affected the outcome of the game
0: yeah I think there's you know the issue is twofold here. You know you said that the officials you know you could have some sort of people calling the fixes in and stuff like that. Couldn't you just say the same thing now that the league really wanted Green Bay to win that game because i I know that I would rather see Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs than the Detroit Lions you know i just as a football fan, I would rather see Green Bay in that game. Green Bay was having a tough time with Detroit and they needed some favors, and they got them. The other thing is too. Is that David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, that drew the whole the uh, illegal hands penalties back to back on Trey Flowers? What a wily vet that guy is! Because he knew Trey, how to snap his head back. Yeah, Trey Flowers was putting his hand right on his collar, chest pad, right above his collar or right below his collar, and every single time Trey Flowers put his hand right underneath Bakhtiari's neck, Bakhtiari's head just went straight to the sky, and and it looks from the officials perspective it looks like he's getting his hands in his face and that's where the flags come out so it's a great sell job by Bakhtiari or if you don't like that sort of thing then it's not a good sell job by Bakhtiari but it's a veteran play it's a savvy move and then on the other hand you know I think the problem is that there's a slippery slope right it's like if you have the eye of God where do you draw the line? Like, is it only do they only use it in the fourth quarter? Do you only uh, allow it with some things? I think the biggest thing, the best thing would be to have a guy in there that had some sort of self-awareness and a coolness about him where he could tell and say, okay, it's only when this is, like, extremely egregiously wrong and is going to cost or change the path of the game right and that those are the plays that we're not talking about every single hold every single face mask every single grab of a jersey we're talking about ones like the what we saw on sunday night or monday night excuse me i don't know if there is a person that has that kind of control that is able to kind of decide those things without written rules of kind of you know conduct of how you're supposed to go about it i don't know if there is that person i don't know if that person exists but it seems like it feels like it's it's like common sense, right? Like if we can see, I it, think it tell, is. <laughs> then you know, right? But I think that that's the problem is that it's a slippery slope to the point where we're gonna have th- those kinds of calls ter- overturned or reviewed every single step of the way, so that we get every single last call a hundred percent correct, and that will slow down the pace of the game considerably. So I think that that's kind of what the issue is. But I would love to see the eye of God just make sure have a official in every single stadium for every single game that on site whose job it is to make sure quality control. Just make sure everything goes the way that it's supposed to go and make sure that there's no egregious calls that are costing teams games. This this loss by for Detroit, th- that could cost them a playoff spot. No question. <laughs> like it's early in the season, but that could definitely cost them a chance at the playoffs if they get into tiebreaker situations or they can't catch Green Bay because of that head-to-head matchup. So th- this is a big, big play for them in terms of their season. You see Dan Orlovsky uh, Tuesday morning on ESPN. Did he, he, he must
1: have really liked the call. Uh, he went off and yeah. I thought it was fascinating. Um, but it was more of a plea, you know, a former NFL quarterback who went 0 and 16 in 2008. I bring that up with the Detroit Lions, I might add. But yep. Dan Orlovsky went on ESPN on Tuesday morning saying the NFL doesn't have a problem. They have an epidemic of bad officiating. And his plea was, to the NFL owners to do something now. And, you know, Evan has just told you what he would, would do, and that is use the eye of God, uh, oversight, uh, camera, buzz-in, whatever you want to call it, to correct egregious errors. But I think when you have players who played the game and you have a partner like ESPN saying, you know, someone who works for ESPN, but certainly an NFL partner, um, calling the NFL to task, I just think it it indicates that there are people concerned about the NFL product.
0: Yeah, I hope Dan Orlovsky still has a job in a couple of days. Well, no kidding, and and it
1: was that bad. I mean, he was, he went off, and he said, look, people are questioning the quality of your product right now, NFL, and it's time for you owners to do something.
0: Right, I mean, it's building off, it all kind of goes back to the NFC Championship game last year. And they obviously put in the pass interference reviewable rules in order to combat that. But it just, it's just, it seems like every single week in some game, whether it's a nationally televised game or not, there's always one game a week where you can go about it and kind of pick out and say, wow, that, that call really, you know, cost that team that game or cost that team the best chance to win that game. And that is just something that none of us want.
1: Absolutely. Well, you can follow him on Twitter. You should be following him on Twitter if you like football at all. At E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Obviously, follow him on our website, com. He is Evan Lazar. Uh, he and myself, for sure, will be down in the Big Apple. Actually, across the Hudson River, River from the Big Apple at MetLife Stadium this Monday night as the Patriots take on the New York Jets and try to improve to 7-0 on the season. Be sure to cover all of our, or follow all of our Patriots coverage on Twitter, also at Patriots CLNS. want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Evan Lazar. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, BetOnline.ag. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.